Welcome to the second episode of season 11 of Productize Podcast. In the season, we are talking about the future of our cities. What if cities cared more about their digital products and services and treated their citizens like customers they want to ret retain? What if the mayor would be the equivalent to the CEO? Then who would be or who'd be doing the role of an eventual chief product officer? More importantly, what transformations and improvements could this bring about for lives as citizens as a whole? And this is the same podcast you have been listening to since 2017, uh, where innovators, geeks, creators, entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. And this is, in, is about cities. Our mission is to inspire people to impactful action. My name is Andre Marquis, and I'm your host. So everyone, today we have a special guest, also a friend, Peter Faber. Peter is a community and product builder who talks about co-living, co-working, real estate, hospitality, and marketplaces. Peter is also the founder of The Surf Office, one-stop shop for company retreats, outside the office. Besides that, Peter is running a personal blog and creates guides about hospitality and co-living businesses, improvements, and, you know, he's doing that for a number of cities worldwide. Welcome, Peter. How are you, sir? Hey, uh, thank you for a very nice introduction. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, it's, it's quite busy now uh, for the for the business and for me it's now busy all the time because I have a I have a small kid so I forgot how is it to have a very calm life but uh, all good. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, I guess life changes. Um, you also moved to Amsterdam recently. Not so recently. It's Not actually so recently. going to be almost almost three years. But as uh, you. If we if we remove COVID uh, COVID time, then it's recently because yeah, some people recommend to not count uh, COVID as a as some period of our life. So uh, if we count COVID, it's like three years ago, with almost three years ago. What are you saying you just had you, you just had your kid during COVID? You more than had. I mean, you guess you actually made the kid during COVID. He had the kid during COVID, so. Um, yeah, time definitely doesn't stop, but it does feel that um, it has been this crazy two years for everyone, right? Uh, where time distorts a little bit and kind of lose track of everything. But anyways, you call yourself a product builder. Um, so tell me a little bit how you started this uh, with product building. How how did you got hooked? Because I, I remember when we first talked in Lisbon, uh, maybe seven years ago, Back 2015, um, you were telling me you were kind of starting giving the first steps in, you know, what seemed to be a digital product for the kind of experiences that you were developing and designing at the time. So, do you want to go back to those days, or maybe even before that, and tell us how you started the product and looking into yourself as a product builder? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I I put it on LinkedIn last year because I didn't know how to define myself and I don't like much these uh, titles like the CEO of whatever company, if it's like a small startup, uh, for me always like CEO 
CEO of Starbucks or CEO of Microsoft. That's that's the right title for the person leading the company. But if you are a startup with like 10 or 15 people, it just yeah, you're just building the building the product. And I always had some side projects or side products I've been working on. So for me, it was like natural that uh, I call myself product builder. Um, and uh, yeah, like I always been uh, in uh, in tech, so I always. Uh, worked in some way in the, like a product design of software of or online services or mobile applications um, or emails or websites so this this is like my background and uh, around 2013 i started to play with an idea of working remotely i at the time i worked in uh, in, in in prague in the office mm-hmm for one large tech company and I just like I, I wanted to work remotely and move to to Canary Islands what I did uh, and stay there for two years and then I moved after two years I moved to Lisbon where we met yeah. and um, at the time I started to build this uh, uh, co-working co-living spaces for remote workers and and digital nomads and it was just I tried to combine this I was in in in, Ka- in Kajal Sudre it was in, in Lisbon, it was in, in Caix de Sodre. And the idea was basically uh, uh, help people like me at the time who can work remotely, work on their laptops to, to move somewhere else for, for a few weeks or months and, and to have like a, not just like the, the infrastructure, the accommodation and the workspace to be productive, but also kind of community around of, of similar people. And yeah, and around, and it was always a combination of creating the the digital experiences and and offline experiences. And since then, I I've been hooked. I always uh, like, as I said before, I always built like o- online online products or or software, designing the software. And I was hooked in uh, in uh, designing uh, offline services and how they can be combined with with online. And and yeah, you were doing. You were doing- what people sometimes sometimes people call service design as well right service experience design yeah i heard that expression later i didn't know that it's called this way i learned it just you know it's a, it, there is an expression for everything right you know people have to make a living <laughs> so um what's a typical day look like to you nowadays um because you know most people might not know but your product kind of evolved the surf office concept became a multi-country, multi-latitude community. Uh, it also has a very strong digital footprint. So what is what is it today as we speak? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the business can, yeah, it evolves from, from co-living spaces and co-working spaces for, for digital nomads into offering... Uh, uh, company offsites and team retreats yeah for different tech companies and and startups and it started the it started the way that we had this for instance this co-living co-working space in 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 lisbon in cash de sodre that was targeting individual people like anyone who can work remotely can come work from there enjoy the good uh, portuguese life and and surf and whatever they want to do and we surprisingly had many companies reaching 
us, uh, re reaching to us that, hey, we, we like this concept. Is it only for individuals or could we come with a team of right. five, 10, 15 people, usually small teams? And I thought like, oh, this is interesting. And first we, we had some startups I never heard about or some digital <laughs> agencies, but then like bigger names started to, to come like Shopify or Stripe or WordPress, TopTal. And I thought like, oh, if these companies come to me without actually me doing any sales or like reaching out to them or doing some marketing mm -hmm. towards them about the product that even I don't offer because we did, we were not offering the right. company retreat. I yeah, so like, you found product market fit even before you had a product, which is beautiful, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> like your exactly. clients told you, oh, you have the perfect product. Just, just let us use it. <laughs> Right. So you see these startup stories where people come with some idea and they search for product market fit. We we had this co-living that was in some way product market fit. Uh, at that time, it was just too early on the market. I didn't realize that the market can be so so big, and uh, and it was not working so well. It was not like so such exciting business. Like we had few locations, we had customers. It was profitable, but. I didn't see this like growing very fast. And uh, and then this company started to come and I thought like, oh, this is way more interesting that uh, we can just move to different locations and find our different partners like for co-workings and hotels that we don't need to have our own spaces because that was the initial model what we had with the co-living that we mm -hmm. uh, leased and operated our own, our own spaces what brings a lot of... Uh, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of friction, a lot of work with uh, whatever cleaning. So right now you have like this uh, list of partners, right? Comp in different countries, in different locations, you know, Barcelona, Gran Canaria, Madrid. In Lisbon, you have, of course, you have Lisbon, you have Verisaida, you have Madeira, but also outside of Europe, you have a number of locations in the US and, and so on. So are these partners? Yeah, these are all uh, partner locations. We use this like lean startup approach a lot mm -hmm. with, with testing new locations that we just like add new locations on the website and see if there is the demand. So it's like and, a fake tour concept, right? Just put a new location. If people start asking for a new location, you, depend, you yeah, go after the Yeah, depends how you are looking on it. So we have like, we have some locations that we build that we believe that it's are going to work. Mm -hmm. So we just add them on the website. And now the locations, what we have, what you see on the website, those uh, those are the locations where we operate. But we have maybe another 30 locations that are in testing and you don't see them on the website, but maybe you can find them on, on Google. So that's that's more like fake it till you make it. But on the other hand, we have also like, we organize retreats in locations that we even don't have on our website. Like for instance, in Tenerife, we, we organize retreats and we don't have it on our website or... In, in Portugal, we organize retreats in Algarve, but we don't have it on our on our website. Because, because, that, because clients ask you for those locations or? We, it's it's not always like with Colibing, it was more, uh, it was more about location. So you, as if you are a digital nomad, you decide that you want to go to Lisbon and work from Lisbon. And it's, it's, it's about the location. It's about Lisbon. But if you are a company and want to organize a, a retreat for 50 of your colleagues, the location is way less important than you might think. It's more mm -hmm. about like how easy it is to get there, 
Right. Um, what are we going to do there? Uh, and uh, how good is the venue? It's more about the venue. It's more about how, if, how many, what are the, the, the flight connections to that locations, to that location and so and so. So we have like a lot of customers that reach out that they want to go to uh, Madeira and they end up in Mallorca or <laughs> or opposite. So it's um, it's yeah it's it's interesting. It's just very different from from individual from individual customers and a lot of things you simply don't realize before you you launch it. I really believe that Madeira, for instance, is going to work really very well as as a location, and we still have it on our website, but it was it was very unsuccessful because like from individual traveler, Madeira is amazing location. I've been there mm -hmm. three or four times. I love the hiking. It's it's amazing island. I would like to come back again anytime soon. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I've been there a couple of times as but well. But for a group of employees, like it's not easy to get there. Imagine that you have like people are distributed in different locations in Europe. Like to fly to Madeira from, from Lisbon, it's very easy, also relatively cheap, mm -hmm. or from Porto, the same. But if you are in, uh, in Amsterdam or in Prague and you have some other colleagues in, in Helsinki and others in Paris, you realize that the flights are not very good to Madeira. It's very difficult to get there and the flights are also expensive. And if you think about this type of like company retreat, that what's the goal of this event? It's like to meet all together, have fun. It's not about experiencing Madeira. Like it's part of the part of it, right. but it's not like the yeah. main reason. Right. So, Those retreats, they tend to have like this experience to play. It's like five or 10% of the overall time, but 90% is actually what you do with your team and the, the team building activities and whatever, whatnot, right? Exactly. The meeting space and, and restaurant and team building activities. That's like the most of the time where uh, of, of these retreats when, uh, when you are there like, a, like an employee. It's, it's just different comparing to you going somewhere as an as a individual traveler. Beautiful. All right. So... Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, retreats that you guys organize. Um, so if people are listening to this uh, and they're wondering what's like the minimum viable retreat in terms of time, is it, is it you know, two nights, three nights? What, what's like the, do you have like any specific minimum uh, mm -hmm. I time frame? We don't have really minimum. Uh, we just try to explain the customers that uh, uh, we we ask them if it makes sense if they said that they want to do it just for two days. You know, like flying to Lisbon for, for instance, one night doesn't yeah. make much sense. So right. we always say that these two nights, three days, that's kind of minimum to have a to have a good experience. Usually, it's typically it's somewhere around three, four, five days. Depends mm -hmm. on the size of the group. If it's large group, because we organize also groups of like 250 people, they uh, they usually make it shorter because yeah, it's it's also quite expensive to organize such a thing with with the large with the, for for a large group. And smaller teams, if it's a team of 20 people, very often they want to they want to do some brainstorming of new product or. Uh, 
uh, or something like that. So in that case, they uh, they want to um, uh, they, they want to stay, for instance, longer so they can they can have some brainstorming workshop. They can run some exercises. They can they can have a design sprint or or hackathon. You know, so. Mm -hmm. It really depends what on what are the goals of the of the group of the company. And, and you help the company to also organize those design sprints or those hackathons, or that's really something you usually don't. We usually don't like we don't try to be um, we don't try to be the company that uh, tells them what to do. So our pitch is always like we help you with everything uh, uh, what is related to infrastructure. So. Uh, uh, the accommodation, the transfers, the co-working space, and uh, everything what is related to the content of the event, uh, you have to do it by yourself, or they have to figure it out. We we are more moving now towards this area because we have more and more customers asking us about it. That uh, mm -hmm. hey, can you can you recommend us uh, some some speaker who can come about? I don't know, like uh, company culture or, right. or whatever, or they ask us like to organize some some sort of design sprint or something like that. We have these requests, but uh, most, yeah, we don't we don't do it now. Mm. I think uh, later we might start to do it, like because also there is this there is this thing that we, um, I, I maybe I didn't I didn't mention it. Like we try to really standardize the whole experience of organizing a, a company retreat. So we work with the same venues. We really master like whole experience from the, the meeting space and, 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 and the, the, the food and everything what is there. And we build like an online platform where customers can actually book everything. So we want to book team building activity. We book it on our online platform and you minimize the time of like I call it consulting, right? And an organizing uh, design sprint, for instance, is consulting. It is. It is super time consuming. So what's your, so this started like has a one man show when I met you, it was basically you and yourself. And nowadays, how many people do you have in a team? Uh, right which, which by the way, it's a 100% remote team, right? Yeah, we are 100% remote. Uh... You are 100 people already? 100% remote. 100%. Okay. Uh, oh, no. No, we are wow, that's big. In, like it's always difficult to to count because we have a mm -hmm. lot of uh, freelancers working with us, especially like uh, with with content and so. But I think like the the team that it's on the Slack, I now it's 12 people. Mm -hmm. So that size of the team. Uh, so what what's your typical day look like nowadays? Is it about recruiting? Is it more like managing clients? Are you the salesperson? And what's what's your because products? I guess still you're still spending quite a lot of time. I know that you are very much into design as well. So how much are you investing some of these aspects of the the business? Not as much as I would like to. Uh, <laughs> I had this. That was my most productive period uh, of life, to be honest. These last two years during COVID, people were complaining that uh, uh, about COVID, and I was, yeah, I was quite happy that I, I th this office was not really working. Uh, imagine like nobody was organizing 
uh, company events during the during the pandemic. Uh, so I had like more free time on like working on things I, I like to do. Like I like to work. I like I, I build like a couple of new small products. I learned like new technologies uh, and I was just exploring uh, different things, starting to write a blog and newsletter. And so and so it was very creative and now Surface is back uh, uh, working quite well because like all these remote new remote newly remote companies they need to organize a retreat because they need to meet after these two years of, uh, of staying in the in the bedrooms mm -hmm. base camps and uh, so this, I'm back more in Surface and I'm focusing like fully on this no not much time for side projects so yeah, ninety percent of my time currently is uh, is hiring and 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 helping my uh, my colleagues to to be more productive or unblock their uh, their bottlenecks. So I would say that's my that's my job. But of course, I'm trying to to be involved in the product or how yeah how we communicate the product. And I and I do sales from time to time but we have a we have a dedicated sales team that is responsible mm -hmm. so besides work I, I know that at least here in portugal you were surfing quite a lot you were quite a surfing enthusiast um are you still having some time to to surf i, I don't even know what's the surf scene in the netherlands so i have no yeah. idea it's small uh mm -hmm. there is there are many surfers mm -hmm. here the conditions are very far from what what I had in Portugal. Mm -hmm. The waves are or flat or or it's flat or the waves are messy. Uh, so I don't surf here a lot, but uh, I used to surf relatively regularly before I had uh, uh, I had a kid uh, because the, the beach is not very far. It's, it's just twenty five minutes from Amsterdam, so it's kind of similar to to Lisbon that you mm -hmm. also don't have the beach to surf in Lisbon. You need to go to to Carcavelos or Caparica or Ericera, and it's yeah. usually around 30 minutes. Um, so my surfing is mainly when I when I travel, and uh, I've been in uh, Canary Islands in January for two weeks, working remotely and surfing every day. So with the baby, that was amazing. Yeah, first time with the baby. First time we tried this like remote work uh serve with the baby uh and it was great we have to we have to now repeat so your your wife's also passionate about it remote uh, yeah. living, surfing all right you told me that you had three years to learn and to do new stuff but what if you had like three months to learn a relatively new technology what or what would you choose to learn mm-hmm uh, that's a good question. I've been thinking about it during COVID because I, I asked this question myself and I, I tried with learning Python coding. I was still like, oh, when I'm going to have more time, I'm going to learn coding. So I started with Python and it was a, it was a complete fail, not fail. Like I spent maybe 20 hours of some online course and I was moving forward, but I, I consider it so slow and I, and I just thought like, I'm 35, I'm never going to be good in this. I can yeah. learn some basics. So what, what, what I can learn where I, in three months, I learn, but I can also work on some side project and, and, and build something. So I, I learned, I invested like three months, two, three months into geospatial analysis. I did course on Coursera and then like 
did my um, project that it's actually for for Lisbon. I made the tool to how mm. to choose the right neighborhood uh, where to live in Lisbon. It's called right. hoodpicker.com. And, and that was like my, I was learning on Coursera and around the same time I was, uh, I was building this tool. And, um, and before that, I actually, it was actually before I was, uh, I was learning Webflow so to build a more complex website without, without code. And I just, I just love the platform. Uh, this hook picker is built on Webflow. So basically I combined these two new skills and <laughs> why, why did you go to uh webflow and not to um you know i don't know bubble or one of those, one of those and that was actually uh, other... that was actually my answer to your question that i would choose um i would choose bubble now to if to learn something i would invest three months into learning bubble because the webflow is great to build uh, websites that are almost like the the applications I see that this is not perfectly optimized for this screen. What do you what do you have now? And okay. I don't better know better like this. Now right? you see on the left, you see the filters. So you so can... what is what is hood picker? Let's just uh, do a little quick navigation. So filter your lifestyle preferences. So what you do is your filter your so you lifestyle. All the filters you can imagine, right? like what do you pref- what are Popular your preferences nomads. on the neighborhood? And on the on the right side, you see neighborhoods. Of Lisbon, there are 24 in total, and more filters you use, you obviously have less neighborhoods that match that criteria. And then you can click on that neighborhood, and you see the the details. People can leave the review, so it helps people who don't know anything about Lisbon and they want to move uh, to Lisbon to actually find the right neighborhood. I found this uh, as a, as a problem many people have, and they were coming to me in the in the messages asking me where i should go and you know this is the type of question like where i should travel during the summer well depends on your preferences do you like the do you like the sea do you like the mountains so it's the same for the neighborhoods like do you uh do you like neighborhoods where are many expats or you want to be more like in local local area do you want uh do you want there do you want to have there like some uh uh, like market or how far it should be from the beach and right. so and so so this was the idea for for hood picker and it's quite popular now it has around like two three hundred people visiting per day so mm-hmm. uh, i'm i'm happy with the project because i don't invest any 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 more time into it so i don't i don't update it and uh is, is border um a partner of yours uh it's not my project it's uh yeah. it's uh startup from portugal they're helping people with the getting around uh, getting with, the the fiscal number and tax yes, number and, and, uh, so okay so do you have any monetization for this um website is is this something you're making any money with right now with people? <laughs> not not really there is this advertising i don't i'm not sure if it's making any money it's just mm-hmm. it's just pocket money i i had some ideas for for it but it was uh yeah i I just I, I I tested couple of ideas and it was not working as I expected, and I just switched to different projects. So the idea for monetization was to um, uh, to provide like more detailed data, for instance, to real estate investors or mm-hmm. people who are analyzing the market or using the data. For instance, you want to 
I didn't find this type of services in, in Portugal or in Europe in general. What I found in the US that they provide uh, like analysis where to open the pharmacy, for instance, in, in what location. Like you have some radius of people around the pharmacy in walking distance. Uh, uh, you know how many people live there. And, and like, what are the other pharmacies in the area? So like you make some uh, geospatial analysis around it and you decide like, okay, this is the right spot to, to choose the, the pharmacy. And, right. and big brands are doing it when the yeah. H&M- I've heard Ma- McDonald's is doing, is doing that for many, many years now. They have been doing yeah. smart geolocation for over three decades with, with uh, geo referencing systems um but yeah it totally makes sense. lots of sense and um so all right so that was that that's impressive because you are a designer by heart and you said you know i don't need to learn code because with a tool like webflow i can actually build a responsive beautifully crafted website like you did for Hoodpicker, which is which is great um so one of the the things that we read on your blog posts is that you've written that your first co-living space was open in, in Gran Canaria. How is it going? Is it still operating some in some in any fashion, or you left the operation and now it's uh, it's a partnership? No, we don't operate any co-living spaces right. uh, anymore. Uh, right. So it was the project uh, that I started in 2013 with the, the, the co-living, co-working co-living space in Gran Canaria. That was the first location. Mm-hmm. Then we had one in Lisbon and one in California. Now, how how and, did you come to, to Lisbon? Because um, back then when you did that choice, it was not as popular as it is arguably, you know, for the last few years. So what was the trigger point for you to say, okay, next, next one is Lisbon? I knew Lisbon. I studied in Lisbon uh, 15 years ago. So I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I saw I saw Lisbon. Like it was just Erasmus, so I spent there like uh, half year, and then I came back during the summer surfing with friends. And I spent which which time. university were you studying? In Lisbon. Uh, like uh, um, arts or? No, I studied business. I studied in uh, e- ESG uh, Lisbon. Okay, ESG. Okay. Great. It's like beautiful. So as you know, Lisbon has um, has been an attractive destination for digital expats and it has, you know, good weather all year round. Although today we have this storm from the Sahara. So the sky is totally red. It's quite a, quite a show. Same is happening in Spain as we speak. Um, but, you know, Generally speaking, good internet connectivity, many free time activities and leisure time uh, opportunities, um, nature close by, the beach, blah, blah, blah. It's still quite affordable. Um, now they even offered like this uh, digital nomad visa, um, which you might know more about than I do. Um, so um, do you, what, what, what's your take on what's happening lately? Um has everyone is going remote and how do you see the trend flowing for the next uh, few years mm, i believe that it's going to to continue it's uh, the uh, the city and and the country in general is simply attractive for mm-hmm. for people from mainly from from north of europe and us 
to, to spend a couple of months or even move there for long term for a couple of years because all the all the reasons you mentioned. And you don't have so many places that tick all these boxes, you know, like you have in Europe, if you want like good weather, good lifestyle, you have uh, uh, Portugal, Spain, Italy and, and Greece, let's say. Uh, Italy is not so affordable. Greece is, let's say, not so popular. It's like more difficult to travel there. You you can stay in Athens, but it's maybe not so nice cities to stay long term than, than Lisbon or Barcelona. So actually Portuguese and Spanish cities are are winning. And and then like imagine like how we were talking about this hood picker where we are choosing the, the neighborhood. So the same like for locations. So what are the other boxes you want to tick that Maybe I don't speak Spanish or Portuguese. Uh, where could I could I speak with locals in English? Like what? So then you have to remove Spain at all because yeah, it's 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 uh, less easy to 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 talk with people unless you speak Spanish, and and you end up in Portugal where people have a fluent English. And then okay, where to go in? In Portugal, like there is Porto, there is Lisbon. I never been in Portugal, so I guess I would rather go first to the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, you choose one of these one of these two. Lisbon is capital, more options, more people. I would choose to Lisbon. So, and this will not change in uh, in five or ten years. I believe that Lisbon is going to be very popular destination for for uh, remote workers and, and, and digital nomads. And it's actually going to explode later this year and the next year, in my opinion, because all these people who worked remotely during COVID because they mm-hmm. were forced to, now they some companies are asking them to come back to the office for a few days a week, but most companies they are still keeping this remote work environment or playing with the hybrid. but large portion of these people will realize oh actually if i can work from anywhere why not to go to somewhere for for a month and right. yeah i believe that there will be like three four times more nomads in two years in uh, in lisbon yeah um, yeah you know lots of questions in my mind but one of them is how much are you a believer in hybrid model um because you know lots of people in the nomad community, they have or digital community, they have very hard opinions on this. Some people say, you know, um, hybrid sucks totally. So it either go one hundred percent remote or better better stay as you are. Some people have this more, um, you know, mild position towards it and say, you know, hybrid's fine. It's better having one or two days out of the office than having this um, 100% office culture. Others say, you know, back to the office, the real thing. Um, I And and then you still have another trend going on, which is the, the four uh, workday week, right? Lots of companies doing four workday week or playing around with 32 hours instead of 40 or whatever it is. Um, any opinions about what kind of model? Obviously, for you guys, you are 100% remote. So I guess I know your answer to your, towards your company. But do you have any feelings towards uh, what should be done? And I, let me just tell you that I've been to some corporates um, because I'm consulting with the some, and and you know to some extent, 
it feels and I don't want to judge anyone. I'm I'm just saying what it feels to me that for lots of these corporates, it's like COVID in many ways didn't happen. Just, oh, okay. The ma mask mandate is off. Um, you know, remote work is off. Okay, back to the office. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's back to the office li like it's 2019 again. And uh, yeah, sometimes they might be a little bit flexible. Okay, you might have one day, but you know, it's pretty much still back in the office. Like you've never been two years working from home with your VPN and so on and so forth, which for me, it's mind blowing because it feels, you know, you just proved that you can be so productive in this company with this very same people working from home as much or more than you were here in the office so why are you forcing people to come to back to the office right um and 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 in lots of companies they don't even have it they don't even have a good answer for that other than you know someone told us so right management upper management god whatever so what's your what's your take on this i think this is a topic for the whole entire uh, podcast episode because yeah, absolutely so much, it is so pretty. there is so much to discuss uh, I don't have this um, because I see on LinkedIn usually people post like why remote is the future or why uh, everyone should come back to the office and and then there is something uh, called called hybrid and I don't think any of this is is true like it's not like you can choose whatever works for you and i think depends also on type of the company so when you have a i, I can tell from my experience because i've been working remotely for five or six years like uh completely remote and i can say that there are certain things that are activities that are very difficult to to do remotely and one of them is is brainstorming so if you like if you are a startup uh, and you try to find a product market fit it's 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 very difficult to do it remotely like it's it's simply better to be in one room together for a couple of days and 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 brainstorm on the other hand if you know already what to do and and you are also like more senior that you know to to plan your day and 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 you are productive uh remote is it's a blessing it's way it's way better for you uh, so really depends on the company or even even the team. When people are talking about hybrid, for me it's funny because I believe in in general in hybrid that it's a it's a good model, but not the way how companies are are proposing it. Because they propose hybrid means that okay, you should come to office on Tuesday and and Thursday. That's that's hybrid. And uh, Monday, Wednesday, on Friday you can work from from home, but to me, that's not hybrid. That's that's companies telling you what you should do. For me, hybrid is that we have office here in this city where you live, and you can come to that office anytime you want. You can come to that office. You can work the evenings or during the night from the office because uh, I don't know what you don't have productive place at, at at home, and you want to be more flexible, or you don't have to come at all, and you can tell the employees like, let's meet. Okay, let's meet like at least once a month in the office that uh, we have a lunch together so we see each other. But some people would come every day to the office because it's just good for them. They want to 
to meet others. They are extroverts, like for instance, people working in cells is more difficult if they're extrovert, they're what they usually are. It's difficult for them to work from home. And other people are developers, they can work from, from home forever and, and they can meet like once a month in the office. So companies, in my opinion, should leave people the freedom to choose what is best for them and not define like you should be in the office on, on Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I totally see your point. I would just argue that, you know, in, in bigger companies where you have lots of people, peer pressure becomes a thing as well, right? It's not just what management tells you because management can say, you know, guys, feel free to do whatever you want. But then you have this big cohort of people actually going to the office and whatever the majority is doing tends to become the norm of the company in many ways because there's lots of peer pressure to show up just because your colleague is showing up. And if you don't show up, your colleague is not going to sing good things of you or whatever it is. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I think I think that it's a complex topic for sure. Um, and it does deserve, and it's going to continue, right? To see the ongoing discussion on, on, on media and so on. So you told us great things about Lisbon, but you're now located in Amsterdam. <laughs> so you're not drinking your own Kool-Aid. Um, so can you briefly compare Amsterdam to Lisbon? I guess you have good reasons to be there, but uh, what are the main differences and similarities between these two cities? Uh, well, one one is flat. Uh, and yeah, another, that's for another sure. One is for on very the, flat, very bike friendly. Another one, not so uh, really. And I love biking. I love, uh, I'm really, really into like uh, mobility and transportation in the cities and, and how to make cities sustainable for me. Amsterdam, from this point of view, it's very, it's like a dream city. Like you don't need to own the car here and you have, uh, you have perfect lifestyle. That's also because of city choices, right? Because if Amsterdam decades ago decided to go that way, uh, and not just not not just because of happenstance, people started using bikes just because, right? And and I think that's one of the the points we want to do here with the podcast is that public policy matters. One hundred percent. Like people, very many people think that Amsterdam, oh, they are everyone is biking because people like biking, but but it's it's not really true. They made uh, such a <laughs> the government, the local municipalities, they made such a such policies that it's very uh, uncomfortable or inconvenient to own a car you know like you want mm -hmm. to park just in front of your house you can get a permit uh, and 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 pay for it it's not going to be cheap but you can you can have paid something monthly if you don't have that permit and you pay, you park wherever like in the residential neighborhood you have to pay like 6 7 euros per hour you know just uh, for street parking mm -hmm. and uh, you go to city center and that, street. that rate is that rate is uh, i think 12 euros right now plus it's difficult to find any parking because there is not so much space so and the tax uh the, you have to pay for the for the, the car. owning the car, car and the insurance is also very high and it just the city makes it more difficult for you to justify having a car but on the other hand, you have, uh, you have, it's, I think it's partially government owned uh, car sharing service. So I'm using it. I'm using car like 
usually once a week during the weekend we go somewhere for a trip so in amsterdam i don't need to have a car but mm -hmm. i want to go somewhere to the beach for instance right. i need to have yeah. a car and it just one app it's one click i just once you are registered i just open it and it's yeah. right next to my house i go out i open the car and i just drive you know yeah, yeah. so and it's I, a car sharing app it's a car sharing app and i don't need to yeah i i, I pay per, per what's what's the name what's the name of the app uh green wheels green wheels okay they we're going to to post this uh um urls on the the podcast description and here on on the youtube chat as well if people want to to follow and see um best practices and they they can refer to so yeah that that is quite different experience from lisbon where car ownership uh inside or outside a city is still very much a one status quo and two um i would i would argue a need but also those policies which you just spoke you know hiring the the price to park the car and so on and definitely not popular among citizens so um it it requires some level of education of the the, the citizens to understand and to cope with those um, policies, because that you know, if the mayor of Lisbon <laughs> starts increasing the prices of parking, um, that is a no-no, right? He would not get reelected, or at least he believes so, and that is still the problem. While he believes so, he's probably not going to to do that because he believes that he if he increases prices actually he's doing the opposite he's actually lowering the price of parking the car inside the city for city uh, citizens which is kind of crazy and countersensical but uh that's what what's happening right now um so any other things that you would has an ex-lisboner and now a new amsterdamer I don't, I don't even know if that's the words, but um, if it is, it is. If it's not, please correct me. The, it's the name of the cheese, Amsterdamer. <laughs> Amsterdamer. Okay. Do, how do you, do you know how to to call Amsterdam people? Yeah, you can call people uh, from Amsterdam. Also. People from Amsterdam. So, um, any tactical recommendations, things that you're seeing? Oh, this is obviously something useful. So, why don't we mm -hmm. do that as well? uh i yeah i think proposing uh lisbon to be a bike city it's uh it might sound naive because just it's not as flat as in, as in amsterdam so you always have to adjust like what what is uh what can really work in in lisbon like one of the things i i observed in amsterdam like they are very strict and they have a lot of rules around uh renting the apartments and i i noticed this in lisbon so even I don't live in Lisbon, I'm still very much connected. Before COVID, I used to visit like every every two, three months. I, I have there my colleagues, we are organizing their retreat. So I I'm I'm still connected with uh, Lisbon a lot. Mm -hmm. And I see that the this increase of popularity among digital nomads and ex expats uh, is dramatically increasing the prices of real estate in Lisbon, not only to rent, but also to buy. And yeah, you like with the regular Portuguese salary, you cannot even afford to to rent apartment in Lisbon, you know, and uh, in the central areas. 
So people, the locals are forced to to some suburbs and, and so and so. And it's like, it looks like even that it's all designed for, for these expats. And uh, are they really bringing so much value? I mean, like digital nomads and, and expats, like, of course they bring some value to the city, but how, how this value is transferred to the for for this for for the citizens for the for for locals and what I learned in in Amsterdam that for instance if you are buying a flat uh, for yourself where you are going to live uh, you pay some sales tax uh, what is two percent but if you buy a flat uh, the second one or simply the flat where you are not going to live the sales tax is eight percent. There is also like very different rate for the mortgage. If you are buying a flat where you are going to live and the flat you are going to, to rent on Airbnb or wherever, uh, then Airbnb has very strict restrictions. It's actually not usable. You cannot, like, if you have apartment, you cannot rent it on Airbnb. You can rent it, I think now it's 30 days a year. So you cannot build a business around it. And you can, you can do a lot of this type of district uh, restrictions as a government that will help locals to actually like because people think that you need to how to keep the lower prices of rent like government should say like this should be the price like this doesn't work this way there is open market but uh, as a government you can influence that open market and and uh, uh, give some advantages to locals uh, and 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 these expats who <laughs> I would say like most of them are like they have more money than than locals uh, like why not to tax them more even indirectly so and this way like you are trying to keep the balance and I I see that Amsterdam is very very good in this and very very sensitive uh, to keep locals competitive with because there is a lot of money coming in to Amsterdam from abroad like uh, it's very attractive destination to buy property and rent long term or whatever Airbnb if it, it would be possible it's a good it's a good location for for investment what creates a lot of speculation and a lot of speculation creates creates increasing of the of the rents and the, and the prices and the same thing is happening in in Lisbon so I think it's just uh, uh, about copying some things that are working and, and use them in Lisbon. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually opening the website of the, the city of Amsterdam. I think this is actually from the actual city. And they have a great thing, which is the website op opens up in English. If I do the same with the, with the city, well, actually, <laughs> this is something else. Uh, uh, that uh, website it's probably going to open the website well actually it doesn't even show up okay it's all right it's opening up in portuguese which kind of makes sense because i'm in portugal but it doesn't really have an english version right which is kind of crazy if you think about yes. all the um people like you that don't necessarily speak portuguese so having this not has a you know multilingual website doesn't make any sense and you go to this city of amsterdam and you have all this very useful uh gateways register as a resident moving into amsterdam reporting your move abroad so this is very tactical 
useful stuff that you as a citizen you need to do uh, when you move to the city. So how how's your interaction with a, with the city municipality? Do you have any app? Are you going to their websites? Did you need to register? Was it easy? It's it's amazing. I I love the the system here in Amsterdam. Basically, about about everything like whatever <coughs> whatever interaction with the with the government or municipality you can google it in english and you will mm -hmm. find the page and you find the uh, like online solution for it or online like you can do everything online uh, you don't have to call anyone uh, like even like registering the like when you want to register as a new resident it's like online then you can you can go then like you you can go like to the municipality to sign something but it's extremely extremely easy and they have you tracked they send you they send you mails with uh, uh whatever you have to do or the, to to pay it's it's very difficult to miss uh like anything you don't have to follow like what you have to do because the you are already in the system and they are telling you what you should do or you have to register here or you have to pay right. This reminding you stuff so why did you move to amsterdam seems like such a working city there's nothing else to do <laughs> i'm kidding is, is there any reason you move there it's a it's a it's a great city to live to be honest it's uh it's very livable it's very international so you see you you can meet people from all over the world there is a beach uh not in the city but not very far Mm -hmm. uh, and it has amazing train connection. I live um, close to the train station and I'm at the airport in, in 10 minutes and I can, I think it's the third largest airport in Europe. I can fly anywhere in the world. But did, did you choose Amsterdam? Like, you know, it was one of your searches or uh, was, it was there like a, a lot of reason? So I met my current wife at the time, girlfriend, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and... Uh, and we both lived for last 10 years in, in different cities. I lived in, uh, in Canary Islands, in Lisbon, in San Francisco, in Prague, in Barcelona. Like always kind of like staying somewhere for two years and move, move somewhere else. And I, and I met her and she had very similar story, different cities, uh, but very similar story. And we were just discussing that we would like to move somewhere where we can settle down and we, we we approached it in a very analytical way, like trying to just write down what are our, it was not like, oh, our dream is to move to Amsterdam or wherever. It was mm -hmm. about, we were both like writing what are our must and nice to have things and made the list. And for, for instance, for me was must that there is some surfing or ocean. And a nice to have was for instance, mountains, what we don't have in Amsterdam. And mm -hmm. for my wife, it was it was before COVID. She has the job that it's uh, quite office related. It's not so remote. Even now, it's remote, so it gives us gives us more more freedom. And we made a list of the cities where mm -hmm. I had Lisbon, Porto, Barcelona, Mexico right. City, uh, like more like cool lifestyle locations with the and. Mexico City was there is not no surf, but I was thinking like I would like to stay there for a bit. And she had like there was Stockholm and Frankfurt and uh, Cologne. And I was I got 
I could scare like I don't want to <laughs> I don't I, I can visit these places for one for 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 one week or so but not not to really live there Munich so we just uh, made this uh, both of us a list and there was one overlap we considered none of us for none of us Amsterdam was like on top of the list but for both of us it was on the list so we agreed mm -hmm. let's move to Amsterdam and that's uh, the, the next that that's the next version of your product you're going to going from hood picker to city picker right and allow couples to choose their perfect city according to their own preferences yeah, you know it's a product idea <laughs> Yeah, but it, it will just this, make your life easier maybe there is this tool called nomad list where you can uh, nomad list right you can right. You, you can, can you can use some some filters and actually relevant filters what we were deciding yeah, like absolutely. for instance we wanted city where we can we can speak english like we want to learn like local language but yeah. we can speak like we can have a you can you can have your professional life in, in english and and your work life in english and 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 i guess what you did it's also a little bit different than average nomad, right? Because you came to a moment of your life with your wife where you said, okay, maybe we want to have kids, maybe we want to settle down and let's, let's choose a city to do that. Like, you know, two loving birds, let's choose a place to build the nest. And it's very different to, to build the nest than just, you know, going around, staying for, you know, having no schools to put the kids in and kindergartens it's a whole new perspective and uh and and i'm i'm actually you know in a, in a way amsterdam is is for you guys was the the perfect choice and and i i guess one of the objectives that we have also with this podcast is to to think if lisbon could also remain and become an even more attractive for people like you mm -hmm. because like you said maybe nomads are not uh, maybe nomads is great, right? Having a digital nomads community is great, but cities thrive with long-term investment. People that actually stay in the city, that pay taxes in the country, that um, employ people eventually, that uh, put their kids in, in in the school and so on and so forth, right? Um, so in many ways, how, hmm, what kind of... <sighs> improvements um city and governments um could make here for the, the, the for lisbon in this case to to make it more attractive for people like you and your wife peter mm -hmm. uh, i guess we're not going to put mountains right because that's something they cannot do but the rest that was still and still is pretty much in your um you know radar Mm -hmm. For me, transportation is a is a big big thing in Lisbon. That you have so many like nice neighborhoods in not only in Lisbon but in surrounding area, small towns where you can have great lifestyle and be super close to the city. But it just it's a nightmare to 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 commute from there. You know, like you. Uh, you are 15 minutes from Lisbon, but if you don't have a car, uh, it, it takes uh, one and a half hour to get there. Like, for instance, after living in Lisbon, I tried this experiment of moving to Ericeira and I moved to yeah. also to Costa de Caparica. So I spent like a couple of months yeah. in Ericeira. I, I remember I, that you, you were, you are almost uh, a city 
explorer, a lab explorer, because when he told me, I'm going to live in Caparica for a Lisboner, living in Caparica, it's like, what are you doing? Are you, you are in the city center, you could stay in the city center, you want to go and live in Caparica because of transportation. Yeah, and, and now they are both. How was that experience? And now they are both uh, uh, hotspots, like both Caparica and 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 Ericera. They are hotspots for digital. Nomads. Super hot, yes, for for the surf scene, for digital nomads. But and this was just when well, I was doing this experiment in 2017, so it was not yeah. so long. Not so much. I think 17. Not such a long time ago, you know. And, but but uh, you felt yeah. you felt insulated, right? You felt like you were disconnected from the city. Yeah, there, I never know digital nomads and expats at all. Like mm. only Portuguese people. No, nothing like I, against them. I liked it, but it was right. it but was, there was no uh, no nomad scene, and the transportation was not good. You yeah, especially from Caparica, you look on the map, it's so close to Lisbon. It's so close, yeah. And 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 yeah, it, it was like a almost two hours trip to get with public transportation from Caparica. And the same for Ericera, it was like two hours trip to get to the city center, you know, like you first need to take a bus. And so there are like so many, like you have, you are well connected. The, the transportation is amazing uh, through Kashkaj. That's what is also, that's why this area, along the coast, uh, Portuguese Golden Coast. It's uh, it's uh, also That's like popular right. among right. among expats because yeah, you are just close to train and if you want to go to, to get to Lisbon, you can make it in 40 minutes from, from Cascais or like even 15 or like 20 minutes, depends, Carcavelos, depends where you, where you stay. But uh, there is huge potential, like for instance, um, other side of the Lisbon, uh, Casillas or uh, Almeda, like these areas, like all, uh, like there is a lot of like housing, right? And it's right, it's must much place, more right? affordable, like affordable. You have nice views on the with the river, like it's like I can imagine this place is very, very nice locations to live, but the transportation again is the is the problem, and also like when the this. Uh, investments and uh, uh, rising of the prices are are pushing people away from from the central areas of Lisbon like you need to build like the, the, the government the municipality should build some way how these people can like be still connected with the city they move to suburbs and how to get how to come to the city like you don't want to travel by bus for two hours like it's it's just insane like for instance in Lisbon you have Alcantara uh, it's too, like for Portuguese or locals, it sounds like going from Alcantara to the city center, that's like very far. But when you look on the map, it's it's very close, you know, if there would be a good <laughs> bike lane, for instance, it's it's just, yeah, on bike, it's what, 10 yeah. minutes? Actually, I tried to bike it today from Alcantara to our offices and I, I just gave up. I, I took the Uber. Yeah, and I'm a heavy, heavy biker. So totally with you here, um, transportation mobility is of the essence. And in one of your latest blog posts, you also shared areas that you have or that you consider have the, the potential to become hot trends for businesses in digital nomads uh, or related fields. Um, so these trends include towns for remote workers, home swapping, 
city getaways and glamping, co-living in lifestyle locations, staycations, camper vans, etc. Do you plan on developing any of these products yourself? I would love to. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't have I don't have time for that. Uh, so uh, just giving ideas. For I'm just people. giving ideas and I'm trying to connect with people who are trying to build something and maybe thinking how I can be involved because like, <laughs> I, I'm in that position that I believe that I have a lot of knowledge about the, about the market and how to build this product uh, products. I have, uh, I have access to capital. I just don't have time. So when I switch back to seven or eight years ago when I started, I had time and I didn't have knowledge and access to the capital. And now it's completely switched that I am, I'm just missing I'm missing time. So if, if people have ideas or if they read your blog post and they say, yeah, I'd love to do this. Um, is there yeah. any process people can approach you and say, hey, Peter, I just read that about, I don't know, camper vents for remotes and I want to start the business. Um, do you have any process to engage with these people and maybe invest on them or something like that? Yeah, I have. I started to have more of these requests uh, and uh, I... Yeah, I, I, I'm always trying like how to trying to think how to approach it to not sound arrogant because most of the people just write me like, hey, I have this idea and I'm trying to build something around remote work and camper vans. Would you have some time for for a call? And yeah, my answer is no. Like I don't know what you are building. I don't know who you are. Uh, I don't, I don't want to have a call with you. But uh, yeah, like. But if you explain me what you are doing and it sounds interesting, maybe we can have a call, you know? So I, I ask questions, uh, people, to be honest, most of the people just have an idea. They are not very far, uh, they are very far from building something and they don't even, like their first step is uh, asking for a call, someone like me, you know? Like they don't, uh, they don't make like first small steps to have a, MVP or like some proof of concept that this can work or, you know, like some exploration before you start to, to reach out, uh, to reach out people. But then there are people who are in a later stage and I'm like talking with one, uh, uh, like glamping project in UK that I'm, I want to invest. I really like the, their approach and they want to scale it and now they're raising money. So I, I, it, I see it also like opportunity to be involved in like early stage uh startups that are doing something interesting have a lot of potential and i can i can angel invest uh so that's my like long-term long-term vision with this project and, and 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 but the most important is like to connect with uh with interesting people so it's a it's a good filter to find very interesting people and then yeah share ideas with them finally what words of advice would you give your younger self? You were saying, you're talking about your younger, seven years younger, I don't know, eight years younger self. So what kind of words of advice would you give that younger self? Hmm. I Maybe it would be connected now, as I was talking about it now, maybe that's why it came to my mind with, uh, with um, cold emailing or approaching people like, seven or eight years ago, I was, it was not that I was entirely afraid to contact people I don't know online, but I was not doing it so often. And I learned that it's, it's very easy to contact 
basically anyone, if we are not talking about Elon Musk, you know, like these super high profile people, you can contact basically anyone and, and have a call with them. Or as I, as I learned a lot from these messages I'm receiving, I'm, I, I found some patterns like what, what I like. So I, when I'm called emailing or call messaging to someone, I don't try to ask them for a call in the, in the first message. Uh, and, and you can use like very simple tactics and like everyone wants to help. Like if you ask people about uh, like simple questions or advice, you can, you, you, you can approach anyone and, and it's a superpower. Like if you know, like if you have that mindset that you can approach anyone and, and not with like, don't have like this uh, like first plan of like selling something or like get something just like with if your motivation is just like to create like interesting connection that maybe in the future would be beneficial for you it's like it's a it's a superpower and uh, and i i still remind myself i'm reminding myself that i should do it more often but uh, when i was younger i definitely was afraid like oh this guy for instance writing interesting blog or newsletter and mm-hmm. I was just like silent reader, you know. And now, like, I'm I'm subscribed to cool newsletter, and I like it. I don't know, I don't know the person, and I just reply to to some of the newsletters. Like, like I like I like this newsletter because, and I try to be thoughtful what they what they are writing mm-hmm. there, and just saying like and they usually this they usually write back and they say thank you. They say they yeah, answer. Yeah, they write back thank you, and they maybe they don't we don't write anything else, and I I. Yeah, like, but you can write again, and if you write like many people, you easily create like lot of, lot of connection. Uh, but it also it helps a lot when you are creating something publicly. So when people can go to your LinkedIn or to your Twitter, and you they can see what you are working on. If you are, if you are doing everything like secretly, and people don't know about what you are doing, it's it's more difficult to to approach people by cold email because you don't have that credibility mm, absolutely build it in public don't be afraid to cold call or approach people and tell them what you like what you can improve absolutely amazing um i just have like here a book that you recommended our listeners to read you actually recommend more than one but i'm taking this one which is walkable city how downtown can save America one step at a time, but Jeff Speck. Um, I mean, I, I think I understand now where uh, has the conversation flow, but uh, what's what's about this book that um, made you recommend this? Recommend it, it to us? Yeah, it's it's amazing book, and you might think that it's about about walking and how to create walkable cities. But it's the, the book is actually way deeper, and I think that's the most interesting part about it. Like the the <coughs> it talks like in different chapters about uh, uh, about urbanism in the cities and how this um, urbanism influences the 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 lifestyle and 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 it, it comes like to the ultimate thing, like to make walkable cities. Because when you have walkable cities, you uh, you you just like these are the cities what people say like that's a good quality of life they don't say like this is the most walkable city they say like oh this is a great city to live like for instance barcelona or amsterdam and when you try to find the pattern between this like 
preferred cities or most popular cities for people, they you realize that it's about the walkability. And um, yeah, it's for instance saying that uh, when you have the like there is a research when you have like that was for me mind blowing that when you have a architecture in the cities where you have like large blocks of buildings, uh, for instance in New York like skyscrapers, like people don't want to walk there because it's just boring. And I thought like, what, what boring? Like, yeah, when you go somewhere for a walk and you walk for 30 minutes, you want to make, you, you want to have like entertaining walk. What means like you want to have there some trees, nature or interesting building houses. So you are walking and it's like pleasure to walk. But then when you walk and there is next to you, it's just like a concrete of the building because the blocks are just like concrete. It's boring, so nobody wants to nobody wants to walk, and they people use Uber or public transportation, and so it's like okay, so what type of what type of uh, architecture the city needs to attract to to make it more walkable, or like how the how the 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 how wide is the road? Like it depends on the like it influences the safety. So for instance, wider is the road. People, the cars go faster, so they made the experiment. And you think that no, the wide road is actually safer because cars have more space, so nothing can happen. Can maneuver, and, right? And it happens actually the opposite that the car opposite. knows that yeah. there is no, there are no people, there is a lot of space. So I can go going fast, to speed up. You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, my friend. I think we're very much on the same page here, um, and we love. I guess we love the cities where we live. Uh, it's where we spend like 100% of our time with the exception of the time we end up uh, going um, out, which is uh, sometimes at least not for me, uh, not happening so much at the, for the last uh, few years. So yeah, it makes total sense. And uh, would, there's so I'm much. Sorry to interrupt. It just came to my sure. mind that I always was thinking about it in Lisbon. I would just make... Imagine in Lisbon, like from Cache de Sodre to Santa Apolonia, mm -hmm. and then uh, direction to Rocio Restauradores, like all that area of Baixa, I would just make it no cars, only walkable. And people would be angry and like, oh, yeah. why we cannot go there with the car? But then right. imagine like how amazing it would be that you don't have their cars and you can make all these streets only for pedestrians and, and cafeterias and so and so. Because if you drive there by car, it's it's a nightmare. If you want to cross the city, this area of the city, if you are unlucky, it can take you like like 40 minutes. And it totally, just totally agree with you. It's right now the solution is is bad for 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 walk for for uh, pedestrians and it's bad for cars. So it's and it's bad for bikes. I was biking there with my kid the other day and you know, my kid is six and or five at the time, and they want, actually wanted to kill us uh, just because we were taking a little bit of their uh, roads in in a place where there's no bike lane. And you know, I was with a six year old kid, and it's definitely not a, a very good experience to have when uh, car rage is at this level of, of hate, um, which is not healthy in any city. So, making it um, no cars is definitely something that they should definitely consider. Peter, thank you so much. It was great having you with us. Um, thanks for joining the Productize podcast. If you enjoyed, 
your stay with us. Give us your review on Spotify or uh, Apple Tunes or wherever you're listening to this and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You also have show notes and more episodes at productize.media.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Andre Marquis, with research done by Evelina Bogdan and sound edition by Miguel Souza. Thank you. Have a great day.